0: You're listening to a series from the Book of Mark. Come and see, believe, and follow the
1: Messiah from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more audio and other resources, visit theaxischurch.org. So this is the reading from the Word this morning from Mark 5, uh, 21 through 34. And Jesus, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And And he went with him and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thank you, Gordon. Well, welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis, and I'm glad that you've gathered here with us. And if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to, to meet you. Um, I'll be hanging out at the back of the room um, afterwards, and uh, please say hey. Um, this is week 20 of our time spent in the Gospel of St. Mark, the Book of St. Mark, a time that we have uh, entitled, Seeing, Believing, and Following the Messiah. And uh, If you haven't gotten one of our journals yet, they're on the back table there. Uh, they're for you for free. Um, so you can jot down your observations and different things maybe you have questions about and whatnot for further study or references that are mentioned, um, as we will have several today, uh, to be able to look at later. Uh, but go ahead and turn to Mark 5 if you haven't already, already done so. Um, we have, over the last couple weeks, looked at uh, the power of Jesus Christ over the natural uh, order and realm where he calmed the storm. They left w- one side of the Sea of Galilee. They sailed across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus and his disciples, uh, and they encountered a storm. And Jesus, asleep on a pillow, was awakened by one of his disciples, uh, said, Don't you care that we're dying? Um, we are dying. Uh, and uh, Jesus uh, rebukes the storm. Um, increases the faith of the disciples, and they end up going to the shore. Well, they, they hit the shore, uh, marveling over his power over the created order, the natural realm. And he, he's confronted by a demoniac, a man who is being controlled by a demon, thousands of demons. Um, and Jesus, long story short, there heals this man to the point where he's clothed and sitting at his feet, learning from him in his right mind, and then sent as a missionary to the capitalist, to his cities, Uh, where he would be spreading the fame of Jesus Christ and all that he's done for him. And so there we see Christ's power, the Messiah's power, um, over the spiritual realm, the spiritual order. So the natural order, the the spiritual order, the things of nature, the things of the Spirit, he is powerful over these things, over our physical bodies, even over death, as we will see uh, through our time in, in Mark 5. Uh, the, the scope, the extent of the power of Christ is being understood by his disciples and by those who are watching Jesus. And I hope that the same is true for you, that you will better understand the, the scope and the extent of the power of Christ, not just in his might over nature and over disease, but his might and compassion and his tenderness and his love for those who are hurting Um, There's a lot going on, I know. I know there's a lot going on in your hearts and in your lives. I've sat with many of you over the last several weeks and um, even this past week and and know some of your story, though I don't know all of your story. I know some of your story. And I know that you're going through a lot. There's a lot of questions over your health. There's a lot of questions over your own wellness, mentally, um, emotionally, physically, I know many have uncertainties over things like employment and your future and um, others struggling with debilitating fears and outright rage. Uh, And we've seen uh, the social moral fibers of our world seem to change over the last two years, Uh, perhaps not change, just be revealed. Uh, Perhaps it's always been this divisive. Uh, We just didn't see it that way because we cloak things with courtesy until we get pressed and the courtesy's gone and who we are is revealed. But over these past two years, it's created a lot of, of, of deep-seated rage and emotion in all of us. And it adds to this fear. And I know many of you struggle with your marriages. Many of you struggle with your children and questions of their health and their connection to you, your connect, their connection to Jesus. And many of you uh, want to have children to be able to love. And you would love to do this, but there's struggle through infertility and miscarriage. And some are single and want to be married who long to have a spouse. And others have experienced other loss after loss and being overwhelmed with an onslaught of more suffering. And we're left with the questions that Scripture provide us with, like, when will the darkness lift? And how long, O Lord? And where does my hope come from? And then we ask, where should my hope come from? Should I hope in God? Is it worth hoping in God? Regardless of where my hope is placed, is there any true source for hope? As one of your pastors, and I believe here I speak with uh, the, the authority of all of your elders, that we are aware of some of what's going on in your heart and your life and your home and your work. And we see you. Um, we, we pray for you. Uh, we feel for you, and, uh, and we want peace for you. We, we long to see you smile on the inside, as well as on the outside, without you having to muster up the fakeness to put on the veneer of a smile. And I'm sorry that it's so difficult, um, and though we, your elders, aren't removed from suffering ourselves, I can assure you um, We have endured heart-wrenching struggles ourselves, but we long for you to be free and at peace within. And so my hope and my desire is to assist your heart and to guide your heart in the direction of hope this morning and happiness this morning. I want to encourage you today in uh, what to know when life hurts, or another way of thinking through our time this morning is what to think on when I don't know what to think. We're going to do this by getting to work in Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. So you remember they went across the sea. They endured that ridiculous storm, helped an old man who was a demoniac, and just one man, it seemed, and they get back in this boat, and they come back across, and there's a great crowd, a massive crowd, as they're there waiting on the shore for Jesus. Imagine the anticipation. He slips away, dismisses the crowd, goes across, heals the demoniac, comes back. Perhaps many stayed there the whole time waiting for him to come back across. Others, I'm sure, saw him approaching from a distance and began calling friends to, to gather around. It's like, I think that's Jesus and his followers. Let's, let's come over here. Let's, let's wait for him right here. There were many who had physical needs, I'm sure, hoping that Jesus could help them in some way. And verse 22 tells us, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and urged him, implored him earnestly, a great deal, right? Saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. It's where we get our word finally from. She's at the final moments of her life. Like she's the fi- we're down to minutes, Come and place your hands on her. Lay your hands on her so that she may be saved, rescued, delivered. All is in this phrase, made well. And live. What faith. Jairus' faith is like, man, if you just lay your hand on her, she, even though she's minutes from death, she'll live. Magnificent crowd. Jairus cuts through the front and gets the attention of Jesus. Verse 24. I love this. And he went with him. I want you to come. Please come. Okay. Really? Yeah. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. We don't use this word. What it means is to press upon. Right? It's to, it's to press in. It's to press together. Right? The sense is like a, a mob, like a a mosh pit at a concert, right? It's like you're, there's a, it's a throng of people. This is a desperate man, a very desperate daddy of a sick girl. So the news of this life-changing God-man Messiah is spreading. And, and when it's assumed that a man can bring a person back from death's door, you know that people are getting a grasp as to his authority and his power and his compassion and concern for sick people. So he's on his way to help this very little, this, this sick girl, this very sick little girl. And I assume that he's following Jairus to his home. And maybe as they walk, Jairus is giving Jesus context of her illness. Like, man, man, here's, here's what we've tried. Here's, here's what's happened. Here's how we got to this point. And you know how details are for a parent who has a sick one. Every detail is, is important sharing every little detail along the way. And maybe the mother is back home caring for this child, doing all she knows how to do, waiting for her husband to come back from trying to find Jesus. Well, following Advent, over the next four Sundays, we're going to pick up this part of the story. But for today, we're going to spend our time in this interruption that Jesus has while he's on his way to Jairus' home. And so Jairus had to wait, so we're going to have to wait um, until January to pick up what God's going to do, what Jesus is going to do with his daughter. And Advent is, a, is waiting, so it's kind of appropriate for us to wait with Jairus. Don't read ahead. Um, read all the Bible, but don't read those next few verses. All right. Um, my pastor told me not to read the verse. Okay. Um, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. They're walking along, and here's an interruption. There was this woman who had a discharge of blood, a flow of blood for 12 years, who had pained, who had suffered. Listen to these descriptive words. Who had suffered much under many physicians and spent all that she had. How much money does she have if she spent all that she has? Zero. And was no better. Uh, The the word is no benefit, right? No, No positive result. But rather grew worse, more sick. Whereas before we saw a desperate father and a daughter, now we see a desperate woman. Such a desperate woman. This lady has been hemorrhaging for as many years as Jairus's daughter has been alive. Much like Jairus, I'm sure she's tried anything, everything to rid herself of this issue and this problem. And Mark tells us that she spent all her money on health care that hasn't helped. She couldn't be healed. She couldn't be helped by anything or anybody. Desperate, um, to say the least, hopeless and frustrating. I mean, I've spent every penny that I've had and I'm worse than I was before. Would I have been better to save my money and enjoy it on pleasures, to not be as sick as I am now, having spent all that I had, and it's just made it worse. So there's no resources, very poor. She's, she's broken in the bank, broken in the body, and broken in the spirit. But then verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus. How do you hear a report about Jesus? Somebody tells you. So somewhere there's this missionary that we have no idea who it is that tells this lady about Jesus. It's beautiful. She heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him, not wanting to come in front of him, but to sneak in behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be rescued, delivered, made well, and saved. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she, there was a noticeable relief. She felt in her body. A difference. That she was healed, that she was cured instantly of her disease, of her suffering, of her torment is what the word disease here means. It actually refers to a whip. This torture of her disease. And Jesus, aware of someone's faith in his power, Jesus perceiving in himself, recognizing... That miracle had gone out from him. That's what that word means. That power had gone out from him. Immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Now remember what throng means? Pressing in all around. Who, who, who touched my, my jacket? Jesus is aware of all that's taking place. He wants others to be aware too. Jesus knows the authority that he possesses, and he's using this moment to teach others of the authority that he possesses. All are touching Jesus, pushing their way towards him for many, many reasons, but there was one particular touch that was a desperate plea for healing. It was a touch of faith, it was different, it was a touch of desperation, of one last hope. This lady says, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. No money necessary, no treatment necessary, no time of waiting to see if this round of treatment will work or make a difference. If I just touch his garment, I'm going to be all right. And his disciples said to him, verse 31, you see the crowd pressing in around you, and yet you say, who touched me? It's almost like they're a touch snarky, you know. (laughs) It's a strange thing to say to Jesus in a moment like this. Like idiot, it's like that's what this implies a little bit. It's kind of hard to read this. I mean, you see the crowd. You're asking us who touched you. Are you really? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, sick, reached out, touched, healed. I think it's me. Came in fear, and. Trembling, uh, shaking, the word is quivering. And fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I don't even know what all that was, but it was a story. She held nothing back, the whole story. She hated to be noticed. She did not want to be noticed. She did not want to be found out. That's why she came in from behind and just touched his garment. This causes this fear To come up in this woman, she begins to tremble. She's covered in shame. Being noticed was never her intention. The moment this happened, she's thinking, I knew I should have never come out here. She wanted to be healed. She wanted to be changed. This was her intention, but she did not want to be noticed. As a matter of fact, that's been her desire for 12 years now, to be healed but not noticed. But she, much like Jairus, falls before Jesus. She trembles before Jesus and responds to his question. It was me. I touched you. I've been bleeding for 12 years and it's been terrible. I've had this blood issue and this disease for 12 years and I can't seem to help it. Often I pass out, I'm so exhausted from all this. I heard that you had helped others so I reached out just to touch the the edge of your your, your garment. I didn't want to cause a problem. I didn't want to cause a scene. I just want to be normal again. But I already feel different. Could I seriously already be healed? Did you actually help me? Imagine how humiliating this had to have been for this lady. This is the worst case scenario. She's thinking, I just hope to get close enough to touch his clothes then we'll slip back away into my lonely misery. And Jesus calls out to her, not to humiliate her, but to announce her healing for everybody to know this woman is clean. The thing that would have embarrassed her is no longer true of her. In verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well, saved you, delivered you, saved by faith. Go in peace and be sound, be healthy, be healed of your disease. After 12 years, she's healed instantly. Instantly. Mark includes this so that we get an idea of just how hopeless, though, her situation was. Hopeless, helpless, weak, feeble, bleeding, 12 years, y'all, 12 years. And to add more reasons for despair for her, hemorrhaging her disease would have made her ceremonially unclean, which would have excluded her from all normal social and religious friendships and sacrifices. She was spiritually ostracized, socially ostracized. She would have been an extremely lonely person because of her situation, a castaway of society. Clearly, she was no woman who'd be considered by a rabbi. A rabbi would never give this type of woman the time of day. Hemorrhaging for 12 years, lonely, notorious, filthy reputation, no money, an outsider, no. But this filthy, needy woman reaches out and touches Jesus' clothing, perhaps she knew that if she touched him, she'd get in trouble, so she only touches his clothes. But what we do know is that she was desperate and that she believed there was something about Jesus that was different, something that caused her to believe that it was possible through him for her issue of blood to be cured, and it wouldn't take much, just a touch of the edge of his garment. Friend, when it's assumed that merely touching the edge of Jesus' clothing is going to completely heal you of a 12-year problem, you know that people are beginning to grasp and see the power, the authority, the concern of Jesus Christ. It's magnificent. Instantly, she's healed. 12-year issue, issue no longer. This woman was the lady who had the issue of severe bleeding. This woman is now the lady who no longer has an issue of bleeding. And what's the difference? Jesus. Jesus, a rabbi, came in contact with this sick lady, and he wasn't made ceremonially unclean, which would have been the case with every other rabbi. Rather, she's made well and cured and on the spot, no longer unclean or sick, but made clean. She's made whole. And notice that Jesus doesn't seem to be disgusted or repulsed by her need or her situation, nor do you see any concern that Jesus has with her past how she ended up this way to begin with. Was it her fault? Was it her promiscuity? Was it her foolishness that brought this on herself? In other words, is this deserved? Should he have mercy? And that's, that seems to be the story of how we handle so many things today, is before we show empathy and sympathy and compassion and concern, let's wait to hear the whole story to, think, to see if they deserve it from us. That's not Jesus, that's not Christians. If that's your default setting, Christian, please be more like Jesus. Walk in humility and repentance and turn from your evil way and learn to be like Jesus. Showing mercy, empathy, sympathy, and compassion without having to embellish the details. And he deserved to know the details. We don't, and yet he's not concerned with it, and yet we are. He receives her, and he responds with healing, love, and compassion. Friend, I know there are issues and situations that you're in the middle of that might be like a 12-year problem, literally, or it might just be a week-old problem that feels like a 12-year burden, and I'm sorry. I'm not going to use this time to psychoanalyze your situation or pretend to be a therapist, I don't want to tell you what religious people have told me over the years, that if you believe more, that your situation will be fixed. I wish that were true, but I can't in a good conscience offer you this sort of false hope. I know that Jesus can heal and change, and often does through through faith and prayer, but it doesn't always happen like that. What I can offer you today, and what I've been looking forward to share with you today, seven truths to hold tightly to as you suffer, and suffer well. Seven facts, seven truths to hold to. And all these are steeped in scripture. Because what suffering does, it seems suffering leaves us drifting and floating with no subjective, uh, no objective anchor, no objective source of stability. So, to be most helpful, most of my words are me quoting God's word for you, and not my ideas, but God's. So, how to suffer well? is to know, one, that God is with you and near you in your suffering. God is with you and near you in your suffering. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen: the Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Deuteronomy 31, 8, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Isaiah 42.3, a bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. God is with you anew in your suffering. Two, God doesn't delight in your suffering. He ordains and orchestrates and uses suffering, but God never ever delights in causing suffering. Lamentations 3.31, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he calls grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Hebrews 12.3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, such suffering against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So as you struggle, think about the struggle that Christ endured. In your struggle against sin, have you not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, suffering like Jesus Christ? And have you forgotten the exhortation where he addresses you as sons? So as you suffer, don't forget he calls you son. He calls you daughter. And listen to the familial love language that we have here as we think through God using suffering suffering and discipline in our lives as we walk through difficult seasons that are ordained by him and used by him for profound eternal reasons. Listen at the love language that we have here. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Same root word for discipline and disciple. It's part of it. Nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children, bastards and not sons. Which should inform how parents should frequently discipline their children. It's treating them as sons and not bastards. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Suffering produces holiness. For the moment, I get it, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I'm not stupid or naive. But later... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Therefore, in your suffering, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. There's purpose in your suffering. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Three, God delights and is glorified in how you handle your suffering. God delights and is glorified in how you handle your suffering. You can honor him as you look through your suffering to something greater than you being suffering free. You can honor God as you look through your suffering to him. Something greater than just being suffering free. Philippians 1.29 For it has been granted to you that for your sake, you should not only believe, but suffer. 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel, for the power of God. Peter and the apostles in Acts 5.41, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to be shamed for the name. We got to suffer for Jesus, high-fiving each other, wiping blood from their backs. Number four, God uses our suffering, and it is not wasted. God uses our suffering, and it is not wasted. Romans 5, 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. How can you rejoice? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. It's not just alone. It does something. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. You want hope? Embrace suffering. It's what brings hope. Through endurance, through character, you arrive at hope. And this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friend, if we knew all that was being done in us through suffering, we'd be begging God for it more. That's exactly how James can say in James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you come across trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It produces something. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You wanna feel a sense of completion. You you wanna have some some contentment, embrace suffering. It's how it comes. And the only way you can count trials as joy I wrote down these four things. One, you fear the Lord. Two, obedience has to be seen as greater than comfort. Three, you have to have a realistic view of yourself and your sin being in awe that you would ever get a drop of anything good from God, considering what we've done. And four, keeping your eyes more on the cross than on your suffering. Seeing on the cross, his wounds bringing your healing, seeing the good that came from the cross. Four ways that you can count it all joy. One, you fear the Lord. Two, obedience is seen as greater than comfort. Three, you have a realistic perspective of yourself and your sin in all that God would ever do a drop of good considering all that we've done against him. And four, keeping your eyes on the cross more than your suffering. Seeing how those wounds brought you healing. Seeing the good that came from that. Romans 8 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not even pray as we ought to, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. If you suffer, you know what that is. And He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things, even your suffering, especially your suffering, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. God uses our suffering. He doesn't waste it. Five, ask for faith to keep your eyes lifted to the cross as you suffer well. Ask for faith to keep your eyes lifted to the cross. Hebrews 11:29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two pieces. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, suffering, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in the caves of the earth. And all these, though committed through their faith, they did not receive what was promised here in this lifetime since God had provided something better than comfort in this life, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great a cloud of witnesses like these folks that have been sawn in two, a magnificent crowd of, of martyrs, of faithful men and women over the years who stumbled, stumbled their way to the cross... Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of these witnesses, let's lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Not running towards comfort or trying to escape suffering, but you're looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who, remember, he, for the joy that was set before him, endured suffering like the cross despising the shame, and is now seated victor at the right hand of the throne of God. Ask for faith to keep your eyes lifted to Christ on the cross, looking to Jesus. Psalm 121, 1 and 2, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where are you looking for help? Friend, lift your eyes eyes a little bit higher than your suffering, Lift your eyes a little bit higher than your false hopes. Lift your eyes towards the Lord. Six, your suffering will not last forever. Randy Alcorn, in his really good book on heaven, entitled Heaven, he said this. It's catchy. Um, Anticipating heaven doesn't eliminate pain, but it lessens it and puts it in perspective. Meditating on heaven is a great pain reliever. It reminds us that suffering and death are temporary conditions. Our existence will not end in suffering and death. There are but a gateway to our eternal life of unending joy. We'll all suffer, some of us more severely than others, but only for now. 1 Peter 5:10, after you have suffered a little while. Peter says, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will take it upon himself personally to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God's presence, heaven, will restore all that you've lost and more, never to be lost again. Heaven will finally and fully confirm what God has only started in you and through you here on this earth. Heaven will strengthen you until you forget what it was like to be weak And heaven will establish you forever free from sin and suffering in the painless and thrilling presence of God. But only after you've suffered a little while. 1 Peter 5, 10. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Seventh and lastly, Jesus came to reverse the curse and its effects. 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped into our real time and space and walked among us. He lived, loved, felt all the emotions of our humanity. And he did so not only to empathize and sympathize with us in our weakness, and we know this is true from Hebrews 4.15, but he did this also in order to live perfectly for us, to suffer as us and die in our place so that we could be saved and delivered and rescued back to God. The weight of the curse weighs heavy upon our shoulders. It crushes us. We can't shoulder it. And the gospel tells us that Jesus shoulders the weight of the curse and endures the curse for us as us so that we don't have to. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It's written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Second Corinthians 5 21, it was for our sake that he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Suffering is part of the curse. It did not exist before our sin and our intentional rebellion against the holy God, the creator of all things. Essentially, we've invited suffering into our reality with a welcome mat. We've done this through our sin. And our suffering ultimately culminates in death. But because God loved us, he sent his only son to us so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is grace because God did not send his son into the world to further condemn or curse or weights upon the shoulders of the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, and whoever believes in him is not condemned. Jesus was cursed as us by becoming a curse for us. Jesus was condemned in the flesh as us so that we would never fear condemnation and so that we could live free from the weight of the curse. This is the gospel truth, and this is gospel fact. 12 years this lady struggled. How can you make sense of a tragedy like this? 12 years. Well, it was those 12 years of illness that brought this lady to the end of herself, to the end of her resources, to get at the feet of Jesus. And were it not for those 12 years of illness and depleted resources and deteriorating health, this lady would not have approached Jesus on this day and not in this way. And this way, the way that she did it, is the only way to approach Jesus. There's no strutting towards Jesus. There's no swagger as we approach Jesus. The only way to Jesus is through a very low door, and she met it. She fell on her face. You must fall to approach the one who fell from heaven in order to raise us up with him on the last day. I know it hurts. Yes, it hurts. But are you okay with some hurt being in your story for some 65 odd years if it means that you get an eternity of health and healing with God? Or would you rather have less harm in your life here and die forever in isolation from God? You see, this situation in part is to get you to the end of yourself and the end of your resources so that you see that you don't have it in yourself to help you. This situation in part has happened so that you would be desperate enough to reach out for Jesus for help. And I don't know why it seems this way, but I've always seen such good come from such bad. Beauty from ashes, healing from surgical cuts, strength through resistance, grit through trial, steadfastness through suffering, salvation of mankind through the death of God on a cross. There's always a greater good in the awful bad. Look at the cross. The most, tragic, the most tragic event in all of human history is when God died. The most wonderful reality of all that's happened in humanity is God died. The greatest fruit, the greatest result, the happiest moment in all the world is when God died. But it's also the worst moment in life. Could it be that the very worst things you're going through Are the very things that you're gonna be looking back on and being like, thank God. My sister, Jill, my sister in law, Jill's sister, suffering of leukemia, dying at age 17. Tragic. That's why our daughter is named Bethany, it's after Jill's sister. Tragic. We've all got stories of suffering. But when you begin to see only the little bit that we can see here on this earth, we can't see the profound ramifications of suffering like this. But even what little we get a look into, it's like, man, God was doing amazing things through this. And I don't know if we would change it. Knowing what all that we know, and we know this much of the whole story. The waves of trial and suffering toss you abruptly and catastrophically. And I hope that we learn to do as Pastor Charles Spurgeon encouraged his people to do. I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. And today in this text, we've seen Jesus healing and recreating and reforming a very needy and desperate woman. He's restoring and redeeming things. He's taking things back to to what normal looks like before sin and its effects, the original normal. He's reinstituting the beauty of creation that sin had destroyed. He's setting things right, putting things back the way they should be all along. And this lady places her faith and her hope and her trust in the most trustworthy person ever, and it's Jesus. And she's never the same. And Mark wants you to see and believe that Jesus can do the same thing for you and that he's worthy and do all your trust. He's good for it. He tells us this story so that we can learn that through Jesus we have all the confidence in the world that there's nothing truly hopeless. There's no one truly hopeless and there's nothing we ever will encounter that's meaningless. Profound purpose to all that we go through. Mark wants you to see there's nothing too difficult for Jesus. This should produce worship. It should also produce trust and rest that allows us to stress less and fear less as we see Jesus, the most powerful and compassionate. If he's just powerful, it's terrifying, but he's also compassionate. That's beautiful, full of grace and truth. Here's how I want to wrap us up today. Going back to verse 34. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility By fulfilling, abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Double peace. He creates peace, he kills the hostility. And he came and he preached peace. Not duty, not action and activity. He came and preached peace to you who were far off. Peace to those who are near. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. My goodness, what a picture of what we need. Every one of us must hear Jesus say to us, daughter, go in peace. Be healed of your disease. Sin is our ultimate disease. Jesus is the cure. And by faith in Jesus, we're healed and cured, delivered and rescued. It's through Jesus that we are eternally healed, eternally cured, rescued, made whole and restored. And because of Jesus, we get to hear God say to us, son, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace forevermore. Being saved is placing your hope in the ability that Jesus has to save you, believing that what he did in his life and his death and his resurrection, he did for you. Placing your hope in his ability to save you. It's trusting in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ that he can and did and will save you. Friend, when was the last time that you were like this woman and you just fell at the feet of Jesus in raw humility, need, and desperation, pleading with him for help? Have you ever, fallen at the feet of Jesus like this? We often fall at the feet of many things, hoping for help and relief. We'll fall into anger, addiction, control, money, pornography, and so forth. We'll fall there. We'll collapse looking for relief and help in these things. But have you fallen at the feet of Jesus, who is a sufficient Savior and not a false hope, temporary relief, but eternal hope and eternal relief have you ever reached out in faith to jesus sure you've got questions and fears and insecurities don't you think this woman did but she also had faith and the result of faith in jesus is being saved and eternally healed i want you to trust him i want you to know the peace that he brings i want you to hear daughter go in peace Be healed of your disease. For those in this room who have reached out to Christ Jesus for healing from their sin, reached out in faith to Jesus, trusting in his ability to save us eternally and make sense of our suffering even in this day and age, to be able to use it in real time and space for something, who reached out to him as Savior and Lord, saving you for eternity, your Lord in the day-to-day, submitting to his authority as rule, obeying him, For those of us who by faith in Christ Jesus, we have the opportunity before us to center and focus and ground ourselves in the very source of our hope, of our salvation, and that is in the finished work of Jesus Christ through remembering this through the gift the sacrament of the Lord's table. This bread is symbolic of the body of Christ Jesus, where he lived every moment of his life free from sin, in every way tempted as you are, yet without sin. The cumulative weight of the burden of never giving in one time to temptation. If you give in once, there's relief. He gave in zero his entire life. And that, by faith, is accredited to us as a perfect life lived because he did so as our representative before God. He sees that and not our track record. To God be praised. That's the bread. The juice, the wine that we dip the bread in is symbolic of the blood of Christ Jesus in his death. Yes, his actions are substituted for our actions. But his death covers the guilt of the due wrath that our actions do deserve. It's the great exchange. All that Christ did, he did for us. All that we've done is placed on Christ so that we can be made righteous and declared above approach and perfect before God. Our sin covered through his perfect life, atoned for through his death. This is how we are healed, that we can go in peace, healed of our disease of sin, embracing forgiveness. So we're gonna have servers on either side of the stage. We're gonna have a self-serve station in the back. You're gonna take that piece of bread and remember is what he asked us to do. Remember. Remember intentionally remember, don't get caught up in standing in line and seeing how this is going to work and making sure your bread doesn't drop in the the container. Uh, Think on what Jesus Christ has done. Remember, this is the source of the curing of your disease. And for those who have yet to do this, I ask you to reach out to Christ today and say, Christ Jesus, heal me. Forgive me of my sin. Make sense of my suffering. If I've got to endure it, use it somehow. And have the humility enough to say, and I don't have to know why you're doing it. I just trust you. Help me believe you. Father, I ask that you add your blessing to this time of remembering your finished work. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. We have the the joy and privilege of proclaiming the mystery of the faith, that Christ has died Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be on this time of communion and remain with us always, even to the end of the age. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Christian, you can come when you're ready. You've been listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.